The daylight came just like it had a thousand Sundays before. The sun was up, birds were singing, you could hear voices of people outside. But it was no ordinary Sunday. It had only been a couple of days since the man we called friend, the one who was supposed to be the Messiah, had been crucified and buried. We were grieving, and it was so quiet in the room where we sat, you could hear our stomachs grumbling. You could hear an occasional sniffle as many of us were still silently grieving the loss of our friend. And then it happened. The door burst open, and there stood Mary with the biggest smile I had ever seen. I have seen him, she called out. Who? John said. I have seen the Lord, she said louder. John and I leapt to our feet, and I blurted out, what are you talking about? And in one long breath, she said, I went to the tomb to grieve, and when I got there, it was open, and it was empty. And I sat there in wonder, and I just started to cry. And then the gardener approached me, at least I thought he was the gardener, and he said, woman, why are you crying? I said, sir, they have taken my Lord and I don't know where. And then he said, Mary. And in that moment, I knew it wasn't the gardener. It was Jesus. I cried out, Rabboni. And he looked at me and he said, go and tell my disciples that I am coming to see them. And she looked at me with wonder in her eyes and she said, actually, he said, Go and tell my disciples and Peter that I'm coming to see them. She shot me this look of utter confusion. And I have to say, I must have known exactly what was going through her mind because I felt exactly the same thing. Why would he say my name after everything I'd done to him? Why would he call out for me? Besides that other guy, I was next on the list of who hurt Jesus the most. James, John, Mary, Thomas, even, they were better disciples. Why wouldn't he ask for them? Mary continued talking, but I had heard enough. I just started running. I don't know if I was running because I didn't believe it was true or if I was running in hopes that it might be true and I would get a chance to say I was sorry. As I ran, I prayed out to God, please let this be true so I can have one more chance to apologize for turning my head and denying Jesus, not once, but three times. I needed to say I was sorry because I was. I, I don't know how fast I ran, but I must have set some kind of record. And I arrived at the tomb and it was just like she said, it was empty. And I didn't understand. I watched him die. They wrapped his body up. They placed him in the tomb. And I saw 10 men struggle to roll that stone in front of the tomb to seal it off. And then I knew in my heart of hearts, this must be the miracle he had spoken about several times. Only the true son of God could die and come back after everything I had watched him go through the last few days. I turned around to walk away and I was overcome with joy wondering where he might have gone. Sometime later, we were coming back from a long fishing expedition. As our boat was pulling up to the shore, there he was, standing there. He was shining. 
in all his glory and splendor and majesty. I leapt out of the boat and I wanted to run to him, but all I could do was fall to my knees and just weep. I was too ashamed to even look him in the eyes. And through my sobs, I mustered enough strength to say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And in my shock, he knelt down. He took my chin and he lifted my head. And he gave me a look. He took both hands on the side of my face with the look that I had seen only a few days before. It was the same look that he'd given that Roman soldier who was nailing him to the cross. It was the same look he gave his mother Mary when he took his last breath. And he looked at me and he simply said, Peter, do you love me? Ah, of course, Lord, yes, I do. You know I love you. Oof, as if I wasn't humiliated enough and feeling terrible for what I had done, I stood there and he asked me again. I guess I did deny him multiple times, so I kind of deserved it. But in that moment, he looked at me with love and grace in his eyes. Even though I had denied Jesus three times, he forgave me. He looked at me and he loved me. He was proud of me. He wanted me. He needed me. And he simply said, then come and feed my sheep. Now I had been with him for three years. I had seen him do miracles and I had heard millions of perfect words flow out of his mouth. But it was in that moment when he looked at me and spoke those words directly to me that I finally understood the grace of God. Why do we call this Resurrection Sunday? Somebody, somebody knows. Why do we call this Resurrection Sunday? Because he rose from the dead. But what does that mean to you and me? I mean, that's awesome for him. Does it have any application to our lives whatsoever? We're going to look at that. But first, let's look at the evidence, the proof, very quickly. Of his resurrection from the dead. This is Saul. I'm going to read a scripture from a guy named Paul. His name was Saul. This guy was a terrorist to the church in the first century. It says the entire Christian world was in terror of Saul. Because Saul was going to the church services just like this. And taking Christians. Dragging them across the desert and putting them into prison. Many of them were tortured, murdered. um, And... uh, died but here's what paul says the same guy romans chapter 1 verse 4 paul a bondservant of christ jesus called to be an apostle a special messenger personally chosen representative 
set apart for preaching the gospel of God. Now, we have to understand that this is the same guy that tried to kill the church. He was the number one terrorist, the number one persecutor, and he became the number one apostle. What could make that complete life transformation that dramatic if Jesus truly had not raised from the dead? He had nothing to gain and everything to lose to be, if he became a Christian, let alone the leader of the Christian church. He says, I was set apart for preaching the gospel of God. The good news. Everybody say good news. Good news. The gospel is the good news of salvation, which he promised beforehand through the prophets and the sacred scriptures. The good news regarding his son, who as to the flesh, as human nature, was born a descendant of David to fulfill covenant promises. And as his divine nature, according to the spirit of holiness, was openly designated to be, read it out loud with me, the Son of God with power. With what? And triumphant and miraculous way. By his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Says that Jesus was declared openly, proven once for all, no doubt about it, the Son of God by the resurrection from the dead. Do we understand that without the resurrection, we have nothing but another world religion? From a, from a spiritual guru, mentor, teacher that taught us good things, and then he died. But no, we have a lot more than that. We have someone that not only told us when he was going to die, how he was going to die, and who was going to kill him. Maybe we could pull that off. I don't know. Maybe he said, I'm going to rob a bank today, and I'm going to wait until all the police get there, and then I'm going to run out firing my gun. That's where and how and who's going to kill me. I guess we could pull that off. However, if you said to your friends, and then I will rise from the dead, and I'll tell you when, where, and how, and you did it, now we're talking about a completely different level of awesomeness. Jesus said it this way, no one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily, for I have the authority to lay it down when I want to, and also to take it up again, for this is what my Father has commanded me. I could go through the evidence of the resurrection, which when you look at it, it's a lot easier to believe that Jesus rose from the dead than not. When you look at the historical and the uh, medical, physiological evidence of his death and resurrection. I've done that over different years. I'm not going to do that today. Today I want to answer the question, but how does this, how does the resurrection of Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago bring hope to you today? Is it relevant? Does it really make a difference? Well, I'm going to show you some ways that it does. First, Jesus' resurrection can restore your relationship with God. That's what he did with Peter. That's one of my, what, what was set up here by Peter a few minutes ago is one of my favorite scriptures in the whole Bible. Jesus raises from the dead and he says to Mary, go tell my disciples and Peter. Everybody say, and Peter. And Peter. 
that I'm coming and what's not written there but we all know this is what Jesus meant and boy is he in trouble no but isn't that the way we think about God huh like he's after you let me tell you something if God was after you he would have already got you okay yes he is after us but he's after us to bless us to forgive us to show us his enormous grace because Jesus already paid the full price for our rebellion. Full price. Everybody say full price. full price. When you sin and then you ask God to forgive you in the name of Jesus and you still walk around with your head down, you, you don't understand the cross yet. You don't understand the resurrection yet. It was all paid for. All of it. Not just your sin, but also the shame that comes with the sin. Did you know that? That Jesus not only bore your and my sin, but the shame that comes with the sin. That emotion that you feel, I suck. I'm a loser. I'm a hypocrite. I blew it. I did it again. That shame. No one can live a vibrant, faith-filled, joy-filled, successful life when you're walking around carrying that weight of shame. Shame is a murderer of your personality, of your self-confidence, of your self-esteem, of your future. Now Judas, who denied Jesus, the other guy that Peter was talking about, he did not wait to experience the forgiveness of Jesus, and he hung himself. The shame hung Peter, or of Judas. Some of you, even sitting or listening today, you have a noose around your neck, and you're allowing shame from your past failures and sins to hang you when Jesus already hung for you. You need to tell shame to shut up in Jesus' name. We said out loud with me, just say, shame, shut up. In Jesus' name. I had to learn how to do this when I was in my mid-twenties. I was drowning in shame. We all have shame. That's why Jesus died, not just for our sins, but for the shame that comes with the sin. Do you know in the book of Hebrews it says that when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he despised the shame. You know what the word despise means? To ignore. You know, one of the greatest insults, psychologists say one of the greatest insults you can give to somebody is to ghost them. You text somebody and you see they read it, but they don't respond. Like, oh, I see how we're going to be. Uh-huh. All right. Just ghost them. Don't even open it. You see them a few days later. Did you get my text? Yeah. Oh, you did. Mm-hmm. To ignore somebody is one of the greatest insults. The Bible says Jesus ignored the shame. You have to learn how to ignore shame. Once you, shame can bring you to the cross, but once you confess to the Lord, you either believe in His atonement or you don't. You either believe His blood was enough or you don't. You either believe His death and resurrection was enough for the sin and the shame or you don't. Do you believe? Do you believe? The shame we're talking about that he bore is shown in 
how you know all the pictures we see of jesus with a little uh towel over his private area that's not the way they crucified people he was buck naked he hung there naked in front of his mom his brothers and sisters his disciples his friends and it was at a crossing uh, it was like down a front and broadway downtown it was right there at the busiest inter- intersection people coming into jerusalem and there he hung naked that's the kind of shame he bore for you and i so don't ever let shame control you judas let that shame take him down peter heard the voice of jesus on the shore and he came to that voice And when he came to Jesus, he experienced the grace of God. He said, tell my disciples and Peter. I want you to put your name right there. And tell my disciples and say your name. Go tell my disciples and, come on, say it out loud. Just say your name out loud. Go tell my disciples and that I'm coming. Remember, it's not like, oh, wait till your father gets home. It's not that kind of coming, okay? I'm coming with grace and forgiveness. Let's try it again. Tell my disciples I'm coming and... All right, Dan, I'm going to wait for you. Tell my disciples I'm coming and... Your name's Dan. You guys ready? Come on, church. You're going to have to personalize this. Until you personalize it, I'm preaching all day long. Here we go. Ready? Ready? Jesus is saying, tell my disciples I'm coming and (laughs) yeah. Second thing, Jesus death and resurrection. The hope it brings to you today is the restoration of your mental and your emotional health. The last couple of years have wreaked havoc on people's mental health and emotional well-being. Peter also was drowning in depression and despair. His mental and emotional health was not good. The last couple of years, people have been, uh, have had suicide ideation. Some have committed suicide. Um, The counseling offices all over the nation are full. People are really struggling. Some of you here today. I didn't think I was going to make it through COVID mentally and emotionally well. So many broken relationships, so much disappointment. Anybody else here with me? Was that a little, was that a little tough? You lost relationships. Family members don't even talk to each other. Best friends turning on each other. It was a very, very difficult last couple of years that we have gone through as a society. But then there is God. He spoke to me one day. I was walk, taking my daily walk and I just cried out to him. I said, God, you have, what do you want to say to me? It took me about three weeks to finally talk to him about this particular relationship. It hurt so deeply and so bad that I was, I was traumatized. Anybody ever, anybody ever experienced that before? You have a relationship that is so intimate and so good. I mean, the, David, the, David said, 
hey, if it was a stranger who had betrayed me, I could have handled it. But it was you, my brother. We went to church together. We worshiped God together. You, out of all people, I could have handled it if it was somebody else, not you. Anybody ever had that happen to you before? Come on, raise your hand again. I want to make sure I'm preaching to the right group of people here today. You online, ever had a friend betray you, backstab you, walk away from you, abandon you? Any kind of, a mom, a dad, a brother, a sister, a boyfriend, ex-husband, ex-wife, pastor, God forbid. And I said, Lord, I don't want to assume what you would say to me about this situation, so I'm just asking you, what do you want to say to me? And he spoke something to me that was so unexpected and it completely liberated my heart my mind the way i think the way i feel about the situation empowered me that's the voice of god you've got to wait for the voice of god this woman who came to this church um, wrote this to the pastor i want to read you just an example of the power of the voice of god in our lives this is from a book called No Perfect People Allowed. If you're perfect and you're here today, uh, there's a, another great church right down the street that you would fit in a lot better than around here. She writes this and says, I have been attending your church for a little while now, trying to find some kind of purpose or hope. People say God is here, but I don't feel that. Nor does it make the pain any less. My job as a hospice social worker that's being with people who are dying is to comfort the hurting. But where do I go when I'm in the same boat? The church has never been there for me in the past. At least not for me. And yet I still hope. I wish I could tell you how terrifying it is to write. The fear of being known haunts me. During the past few months, I've been thinking about my own death and how to hasten it along. I'm trained to recognize signs of suicidal risk and I'm getting pretty deep. The pastor says, as the words ripped through my mind, I sat back in my chair reading this email, stunned. And I prayed, Lord, what do I do? She's at the crossroads of life or death. Show her there's still hope. I don't have a clue what to say. You've got to show me. And then the Lord gave him a scripture out of the book of the Faith Hall of Fame, Hebrews chapter 11. And he said to the Lord, this has nothing to do with her situation. Why would you have me say this to her? And it's at the end of the book of Hebrews chapter 11, talking about all the great people of faith. And then it says, but many of them did not experience deliverance. They were tortured. They were abandoned. They were persecuted. They were imprisoned. But then it says, paraphrased, but God saw their suffering and he counted them worthy. He said, say that to her, write that back to her. And he's like, that's not what she needs. She's, that, she's not even a Christian yet. She doesn't even, it's not even a person of faith. But he obeyed the voice of God to a person who is emotionally, mentally drowning and about to commit suicide. And she writes back to him, of all the things you wrote, that one sentence that I found so very comforting was God saying, but I saw what they endured and it counted. Why that means so much to me, I don't know but it does he listened for the voice of god and then that's what he spoke to a person who was hopeless if jesus was dead and just had principles and archaic teachings there's no way he could have brought that kind of hope to that person that was right on the cusp of life and death but he asked the resurrected jesus what would you want to say to her 
because you know. And he says, say this. And the human mind says, that doesn't even make any sense. A counselor would never come up with that. The pastor would never come up with that. But Jesus knows you. Next week, the series, The God Who Knows Your Name. He knows you. He's a personal God. He knows what you need. Just like he pulled me out of that mental, emotional, depressed, confused, painful place just by one thought from heaven into my mind. He did the same thing to her. And she said in the letter to him, that's a God worth getting to know. So she went to Barnes and Nobles, Dennis, and she stood in the Christian section. Like, what book should I start with? And she's standing there overwhelmed by all these Christian books. And all of a sudden, she said, this guy sidles up next to her and says, here, read this one. It was was called something like, he rolls away stones. And she looks down at the book. And then she looked up and he was gone. And that book was everything she needed. That's what happened to Peter. One voice, one word from the Lord completely restored him. Do you know that researchers have found, here's their phrase, those who are securely attached to God. Everybody say securely attached to God. They have done research on those who are far from God, those who are seeking God, and those who are securely attached to God. I mean, he, for me, he's like an oxygen mask on my face. I asked the Lord one day when I was about to have a meltdown, and I called out to him, and he answered me and just, just healed my soul in a moment of time. And I, I said to him, God, you know when you ever ask God a question and you think it's profound, but he gives you such a simple answer you feel stupid for asking the question? I said, God. I can't make it without you. Like you spoke to me and completely changed me. I said, how are people making it without you? And he said, they're not. I was like, not the brightest bulb in the box, but that does not important. The gospel is the power of God. Psalm 138.3 says this, in the day when I cried out, you answered me. And made me bold with strength in my soul. This is beyond medication, which I'm not against. I'm for it. This is beyond counseling. I'm not against it. I'm for it. This is beyond a friend trying to encourage you. I'm not against it. I'm for it. The voice of God trumps all of that. One word from God can change your life forever. Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. If you're dealing with mental and emotional brokenness, pain, suffering, Jesus, the resurrected Christ is your answer. The third thing the resurrection of Jesus does for you is it can restore your God-given dreams. Peter thought it was over. Some of you think it's over. You think it's over. Whatever dream God gave to you, Maybe your marriage, maybe your kids loving Jesus, maybe your future ministry, maybe your business, maybe a friendship, maybe just whatever it is that you are believing for, your dream, your hope, your desire, you even believe it was from God and it looks dead. There's no way it's going to ever happen. That's where Peter was at. Jesus met Peter when he was a fisherman. He threw his nets and his boats away. He followed Jesus for three and a half years. Jesus showed him his future. Peter thought it was going to be that he was going to be in Jesus' political cabinet. 
that Jesus was going to overthrow the Roman government and overthrow Caesar, take the natural oppressors off of Israel. And when Jesus died, Peter, he was, you saw him earlier, he was so confused. David, anointed king of Israel as a teenager, and yet he's falsely accused. His reputation is destroyed. His own father-in-law trying to pin him to the wall with a spear. He has to run and live in the enemy territory for 15 years, living in caves, lost his friends and his family. It's like, God, I know you spoke to me. I know you gave me a dream. He comes home one day and his entire town was burnt to the ground. His wife was kidnapped. All of his men's wives were kidnapped. All their kids were kidnapped. They took the cattle and the sheep and the cows. Everything was gone. Joseph in the Bible, a teenager, gets a dream from God. And then he gets beat up by his brothers, thrown into a pit, sold into slavery, accused of rape, thrown into prison. Fifteen years. But in one day, David became king. He was the best king Israel ever had. In one day, Joseph went from prison to the prime minister of Egypt, the most powerful nation on earth. Neither one of them saw the magnitude of the manifestation of the dream. They couldn't have imagined how big God's dream was for their life, but they thought it was dead. But nothing's dead with God. That's what the resurrection is all about. There's not a thing in your life Jesus can't resurrect. Not a thing. Your physical body, your mental, emotional health, a marriage, a relationship, a business, a ministry. He comes up to Peter and he says to him this. Simon, son of John, do you love me with a deep personal affection for me? As for a close friend, Peter was grieved that he asked them the third time. Do you know why Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? Because he wanted to keep three mountains of shame on Peter for the three times he denied him. You deny me three times? Boy, I'm going to pay you back now. Right? Is that our Jesus? I want, I want to know, is that our Jesus? I was talking to a young person, a teenager this week. They were believing lies in their mind. And I said, and it was, just, it was just literally taking them down a dark hole. And I spent a little time with them. I said, here's what you need to ask yourself whenever you have a self-condemning thought. Would Jesus be saying this to me? If Jesus is not saying that to you, Tell it to shut up. Do not believe it. Do not give it your mental, emotional attention. Only listen to the voice of Jesus. You remember in the Bible, there's a woman caught in the act of adultery. The religious leaders bring her to church, throw her down in front of Jesus, and they say the Bible says she's supposed to be stoned to death. Jesus, of course, famously says, whoever is without sin, throw the first stone. So he shamed the shamers, they all go, and then he looks at the woman and says, what? 
where are your condemners? Where are your shamers? She said, no, nobody. They're all gone. He said, I don't condemn you either. Then he said, but go and sin no more. Jesus was lifting the layers of shame off of Peter. That's why he asked him three times. Peter denied him three times. Jesus said, there's three layers of shame here. Three layers of self-hate, personal failure. I'm going to take off all that shame because that's who I am. I am the Savior, your Savior, your forgiver. And then he says to him, after he takes the shame off, feed my sheep. You cannot live life successfully if you are trying to run your race loaded down with shame. He restored Peter's dream to feed my sheep, and Peter had no idea they were going to be making statues of him. And 2,000 years later, people are still learning from and admiring Peter as we are. We opened our sermon with it today. And did you know this? Did you know that Jesus knew beforehand that Peter was going to deny him? Did you know that? Did you know that Jesus knew and knows that you're going to fail him? He already knows it. It's not like a shock to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit when you confess your sin. Oh my gosh, Jesus, did you know about this? I didn't. Holy Spirit, did you know about this? I had no idea. Oh my gosh. Just shocks heaven, your sin. Just shocks heaven, your personal failure. Um, I would never would have died for their sins if I knew it was going to be this bad. <laughs> did you let that person in the kingdom? No, I didn't call him. I didn't draw father. Did you draw that person? I mean, who did anybody vet this person before they let them into the kingdom of God? This is going to, this is going to ruin everything. Look what Jesus says to Simon before he denies him. Simon, Simon, listen. Satan has demanded permission to sift all of you like grain. But I have prayed for you, especially for you, Peter, that your faith and confidence in me may not fail. I pray the same thing for you, family of God. For those of you who have not yet come to Jesus, those of you online, don't let your faith fail just because you're struggling. Just because you've blown it. Don't throw in the towel. The Bible says, don't throw away your faith. In your faith, there is great reward if you don't quit. Everybody, turn to the person next to you and just say, don't quit. Come on, tell them. Encourage them. Don't quit. Don't quit. Okay, now say this. Turn and look at them and say this. Jesus didn't quit on you. Go ahead. So don't you quit on him. And then he says, and once you have turned back to me again, strengthen and support your brothers and sisters in the family of faith. Jesus spoke into his destiny. I can't tell you how many times I have felt like I'm inadequate. I don't know what the heck I'm doing. I can't preach good. I can't lead good. God, you called the wrong person. Am I, did, are you sure? And he will give me vision like, pow. And all of a sudden, I'll just have vision for the church and for the future. I mean, just, he constantly will talk to you about your destiny. Jesus is denied, Peter's dedication to Jesus, his denial of Jesus, and his divine destiny can be your story too if you don't quit. 
You profess your, your, your dedication to Jesus, and then you blow it, but he'll be talking to you about your destiny. Do you know, even though that was a great uh, monologue that Shane did, do you know that Jesus actually didn't even have a conversation to him about his sin? Peter came to the shore ready to just confess. And Jesus, you know what he was doing? He was making breakfast. Breakfast in the Middle East, food in the Middle East, preparing food is a sign of friendship. He was just cooking breakfast. Didn't even talk about it. He started the conversation with, do you love me? He already knew Peter was drowning in shame. There are cults that literally make you write out all your sins and they keep them on file. There's one right here in San Diego. They keep them on file. I know because I've talked to people who have gone into that cult and they come out of it and they say they literally when you show up you confess all your sins they write them down and they keep them in a file so that when you try to leave that cult they will read you back all your sins the bible says that god throws your sins as far as the east is from the west he doesn't just forgive our sins the bible says he literally erases them from all heavenly record can i hear an amen back there matt come on buddy yeah jesus's resurrection can also restore your relationship with others because of his resurrection your sins against god can be forgiven do you know that you're never gonna have to forgive anybody for anything greater than god's already forgiven you for you're my sin against the holy God is greater than any sin you and I will ever endure on this earth. I know that sounds like no way. You have no idea what's happened to me. We don't understand the holiness of God. We don't understand what it would be like to stand in front of him in our sinful state. It's so dramatic that sin can't even be in God's presence. The death and resurrection of Jesus enables all of our sins toward God to be forgiven. And all of our sins toward others to be forgiven. And we need to let it be enough to forgive others their sins toward us. Unforgiveness blocks heaven and opens hell in your life. I'm going to say that again. Unforgiveness blocks heaven and opens hell in your life. Jesus said, if you do not forgive others the way God's forgiven you, the Heavenly Father will not forgive you. It literally blocks the flow into your life. As one person said, unforgiveness is the poison you drink, hoping the other person will die. I know it's not easy. Believe me, that's what I was doing on that walk with God for three weeks. I didn't want to talk to him about it. I was so angry and so hurt. And I said, what do you want to say about this? And he set me free in a second. Like, you can't hang on to that. That'll kill you. Give him to me. Some of you need to do that today on this Easter Sunday. Hallelujah. Shonda, Shonda. I got my Bible in my hand, but I'm not going to forgive that person. You're walking around going, eh, eh, eh. It's like, why isn't the power of God flowing in my life? How come I don't feel his presence? Well, it's because you have demons in your heart. You got all these people crowded in there. The Holy Spirit's like, can I talk? I can't talk to you because I got, all, got mom and dad and Uncle Fred and I got all these people in there going, Argh. The Holy Spirit's trying to get your attention, but you can't hear him because, Argh. and you're down inside your heart going, Argh. 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 praise you, Jesus, praise you, Jesus. Hang on for a second. Argh. 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 
I don't know why my Christianity isn't working. The Bible's boring to me. I just don't feel God anymore. <laughs> Look, I'm preaching to myself too, y'all. I live down here. You can't pass for 35 years and not hate some people. All right. <laughs> Hey, I didn't come up with that. Pastor Dragongi Cho, the pastor of the largest church in the world, million people. He said, when you have a church my size, you hate a lot of people. <laughs> What's the book of Ephesians say? Be kind and helpful to one another, tenderhearted, compassionate, understanding, forgiving one another readily and freely, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. I've seen marriages and friendships and families that have no hope at all. Because Jesus, the resurrected Christ, breathes on you. Forgive him. Let him go. And you obey him. I've seen relationships completely turn around. His hearts are soft. And I'll tell you what, the relationship becomes better than it was before. Jesus' resurrection can also restore your physical health. I'm going to move this to a close here. Last couple points. Of how the resurrection of Jesus Christ can bring hope to your life today Jesus' resurrection can restore your physical health if jesus could raise from the dead which he did and if he can raise others from the dead which he did one time he raised lazarus from the dead his friend after he was dead for four days i mean everybody was hopeless there wasn't anybody believing at that point but jesus comes on the scene raises him from the dead i mean we're so funny martha's like but lord he stinks by now. It's been four days. You know, I mean, it's just, it's just our analytical, natural mind. He's like, well, I'm going to raise your brother from the dead. Yeah, but he's, he'll stink. <laughs> Mary, I can take care of the smell too, right? I mean, come on, let me be Jesus. <laughs> We're so natural in our, our limited thinking. He was like, Mary, if you could only believe, Martha, if you only believe, you'll see the glory of God. She's like, I believe in the last day when you come back. No, I mean today. But, he said, but he'll stink. And then he raises a boy from the dead in the funeral just out of pure compassion. He sees the mom weeping. In the middle of a funeral procession, he just raises the boy up out of the coffin. If he can do that, he can heal anything short of death. Any sickness, any disease, any mental torment, any demon possession, any oppression, any depression, anything, nothing is too hard for our God. John and, John and Peter are walking to church one day, and they go by a guy that's been blamed his whole life. Look what it says here. For if the, and they raise him from, they, they raise him up. They tell him, get up and walk in the name of Jesus. And everybody comes around going, oh my gosh, we've gone to church our entire lives. And this guy's been lame his entire life. And he's leaping and running around. Now, Jesus has already gone to heaven at this point. The resurrected Christ delegated his power and authority to the church. Not just to the apostles 2,000 years ago, but to us. Any believer that believes in the power and authority of the name of Jesus, demons have to flee from you when you use his name. That's why his first disciples, these guys... These guys weren't any different than you and I. We can't put them on some kind of an iconic level of, oh, no. It was Peter, the fisherman, and Matthew, the tax collector, and Judas, the betrayer. Just common people. 
blue-collar, hard-working. And they go out and they use the name of Jesus. They were shocked. They didn't come back and say, yes, well, we know why you chose us, first of all. I mean, look at me, Jesus. I, I understand. It's impressive. And of course the demons come out when we use your name because the way I said it. The way I stood when I, when I did it. Just watch, just watch and learn. Watch, right? No, they were shocked that average Janes and Joes could go out and tell a demon to come out of somebody and the demon obeys them. They're like, what? They come back to Jesus and go, even the demons come out when we use your name. They were blown away. And so here they are going to church and they tell this guy to get up and walk who never had before. And then everybody's shocked and, he, and Peter says this, for it is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of all of our ancestors who brought glory to his servant Jesus by doing this. This is the same Jesus whom you handed over and rejected before Pilate, despite Pilate's decision to release him. You rejected his holy righteous one and instead demanded a, a, the release of a murderer. You killed the author of life, which is a mystery, but God raised him from the dead. And we are witnesses of this fact. Why would Peter and James and John and Paul and all these people be lying about seeing Jesus raised from the dead? If over 500 people saw him raised from the dead at one time, why would they all be lying about that? They know they're going to be murdered. By following Jesus, why would they come out and say this? They had nothing to gain and everything to lose. He said, we, we're witnesses of this fact. We saw him. Through faith in the name of Jesus, this man was healed. And you know how crippled he was before. Faith in Jesus' name has healed him before your very eyes. We have countless testimonies, stories of people being healed here at our church. And millions of Christians all over the planet being healed in the name of Jesus. Jesus, you are alive and we love you here. Can I say an amen? Hear an amen. amen. I can say it and hear it at the same time. And then finally, Jesus' resurrection. How is it relevant to you today? It can bring you eternal life. If you're caught in a lifeless, dead religion, come on out and come to Jesus. That's what I did. When I was 19 years old, I went to church because somebody kept bugging me to go to church. Really annoying. Some guy at work. So I finally went to work. I finally went to church just to get him to stop asking me to go. That's why I went. I was empty on the inside, but I certainly didn't think religion was the answer. And I showed up and it was like this. And here's what threw me off. Here's what I couldn't figure out. Everybody was happy and nobody was stoned. That was an enigma to me. There was no alcohol, there were no drugs, and everybody is chipper and cheerful and happy. And I thought, what is this? I'd never seen anything like it before. Well, you know, when I was raised up, the church I was raised up, and God, God bless them, they, I learned stuff, but what I didn't see was joy. Everything was very somber, very solemn, very quiet. I walked into this place, they had live music. Everybody's laughing and happy. I was like, what is this? Well, that's the church. That's the true church of Jesus Christ. Can I hear an amen? amen. You know why? Because he rose from the dead. Amen. And we're a little bit happy about that. And he's going to come back. And we're going to be with him forever. Jesus' resurrection will give you eternal life. Look what the apostle Paul says once again. But tell me this. 
Since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying there is no resurrection from the dead? If there's no resurrection from the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all of our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. And we apostles would all be lying about God. For we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. But that can't be true. There's no resurrection from the dead. And if there's no resurrection from the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. But, everybody say but. But. Verse 20 says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. And he is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. For those of you who have never come to Jesus... The Bible literally says that you are spiritually dead. When you are disconnected from God, it says your sins have separated you from God. But that is taken care of by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Look what the Word of God says. Ephesians 2.1 And you He made alive. He made you alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. And Ephesians 2 says, But because of His great love, for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ, with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. Death is stronger than life because death takes life. But Jesus' life is stronger than death. That's what this says. Watch this. Then, when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Let's read this out loud together. Come on, church. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Woo! Oh, man. When you give your life to Jesus Christ, it may not all be peaches and cream down here, but the day you draw your last breath, you will be raised from the dead, and you will be face-to-face with Jesus, and you will say, oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? But if you do not come to him, you will have to pay for your sins on your own. And the penalty of that is eternal separation from God. Right now is the day of salvation. Right now is the day of grace. Right now is the opportunity for you to say yes to Jesus. And if you will do that, immediately, right now, all your sins will be forgiven and erased from the record books of heaven. And Jesus will breathe his spirit into you and you will become a son or daughter of God instantaneously. And when you draw your last breath, you will spend eternity with him in heaven. We just close your eyes right there where you are. I'm going to lead you in a few prayers here. The first, I want to pray for those of you who have not yet received Jesus as your Savior. You've never turned your life over to Him for the complete forgiveness and erasing of your sins. And you must do that. If that's you, and you want to give your life to Jesus, have all your sins forgiven. Have Him breathe His Spirit into you right now so you can experience the peace of God. Just raise your hand right where you are. And say, that's me. I need to ask Jesus into my life. 
put your hand straight up so I can see it. I see it, sweetheart. Anybody else? Put your hand up and say, I am asking Jesus to come into my life today. And those of you that are online, I'm going to pray this prayer. I want you to repeat this prayer with me. Just say it out loud. Say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I need help. I need you to forgive me of my sins. I believe you died for my sins. And I believe you rose from the dead. And I'm receiving you now as my Savior. I confess you, Jesus Christ, as my Lord. And I follow you now all the days of my life. Just keep your eyes closed for a moment. I want you to be alone with the Holy Spirit as I speak to you. Because the Spirit of God is moving right here and right now. And He's moving in your heart. If you've been carrying shame from past sins, you have that voice in your head that's constantly criticizing you. That's not the voice of Jesus. So right now, tell that voice. Say, just say it. I'll say, shut up in the name of Jesus. You are not the voice of Jesus. Just say that. You are not the voice of Jesus. I'm going to ask you while you're there with the Holy Spirit. Take that sin or sins, a boatload of sins or just one major, whichever one is pulling you under, and the shame of it. Make sure you grab a hold of the shame of it right now. You do this online as well where you are. Take that sin, get it in your mind, and the shame. And now I'm going to ask you to hand it over to Jesus. Put it in his hands. Just let it go. Now ask Jesus to renew you. Say, Lord Jesus, now renew me. Ask him, say, fill me with your spirit. This is a new day. For those, I believe this is from the Holy Spirit. This is called a word of knowledge. Some of you believe that you have, are disqualified is the word I'm hearing. Disqualified from God's plan for your life because you have blown it. I just want your eyes closed for a minute because I don't want to embarrass you. If that's you, will you raise your hand to say disqualified from what God has called me to because one there's another disqualified another disqualified because of my failure I'm disqualified from God's a plan I'm disqualified from fulfilling his destiny in my life like Peter believed anybody else raise your hand and say I believe that it's for me another one anybody else come on let's let the resurrected Jesus do his saving work here today anybody else raise your hand I feel that I've been disqualified And the last, some of you committed your life to Jesus a long time ago, but you have been tricked. And you are here, but you're not walking with Jesus. 
like you used to. And you want to be his best friend again. You want that relationship renewed and restored. He will treat you just like Peter. He's waiting for you. If that's you, will you raise your hand right where you are and say, that's me. I see your hand back there. Somebody else. I need to re-up my relationship with Jesus. Come on, he's waiting for you. Anybody else? Okay, let's pray this prayer out. Between you and the Lord, just pray this prayer. Say aloud, say, Jesus, I've believed a lie that I'm disqualified. I was never qualified in the first place. You qualified me. I'm re-upping Jesus. I'm renewing my commitment to you. I want to be closer to you than ever. I want to walk with you closely. Starting today for the rest of my life. Come on, let's all stand and let's just worship him. Come on, he's here today. He sees us. He hears you when you sing. He loves it when you sing. He loves that you're here. He loves that you're with us online. On this Resurrection Sunday, celebrate the hope that he brings. He's awakening the hope in me by calling forth my destiny. He's breathing life into my soul. I will thirst for Him and Him alone. He has come like the rain. Showers on the barren plains, so my heart, some confess. Come on, church. Jesus Christ, the hope of man, is my hope is in Yeah. 
joy, he is my joy, he is the hope of the nations, Father's heart we're embracing. to go to Italy for 27 years, so we're just going to do that. So we're going to go from here, grab lunch with our kids, mother-in-law, and whoever else wants to come, and we then we're going to head to L.A. and get on a Air France, and we are out of here. Pastor Josh has the keys to the car while I'm gone. Get ready. <laughs> It'll be awesome. He's got the checkbook and the keys to the car. Woo! And our church is kind of like a Ferrari right now, so he's going to have a good time. And, uh, and uh, the prayer teams are going to be right up here. Um, as soon as I release you in just a minute. And if you have sickness in your body, if you're battling anything that I preached on today, don't let it just be a sermon. Maybe you need to come up and let these prayer teams pray over you, prophesy over you, hear from God for you. It will transform you. So don't leave if you got a need. These prayer teams are ready to bless you, pray over you, and uh, give you an Easter blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Have a great Resurrection Sunday.